Now, um, I, I'm here, I'm standing here because I want to introduce our, our guest speaker for today um, because um, I'm very excited um, because, as you guys know, that last year um, our country was kind of overshadowed by this thing called Black Lives Matter. And something happened to our church. Um, freely, um, um, ter- Project Peace, Jen Phillips, um, contacted us saying that there was a church uh, in Oakland, uh, African-American church, who's really looking for to partner up with Asian-American church. And while that was going on, actually, our staff and our ministry uh, were kind of praying for, hey, you know what, wouldn't it be really awesome if we could actually partner up with a uh, African-American church too. And so I, I thought it was very God's, um, you know, providence and God's uh, um, answering our prayer requests, specific prayer requests. And so we actually met um, Pastor Stephen online on Zoom, and he came and shared some of the visions uh, of his ministry and upon uh, what, what's going on in African-Americans uh, in ministry while uh, all the stuff that was going on. And so um, I was really, really excited. And since we're going through this um, sermon series called Injustice for All, I thought it would be very, very fitting if we could actually have someone different, different um, coming into our church and speak. And I was listening to Gordon's prayer before this morning, and I could just imagine that while we're up in heaven, right, in the book of Revelation, this is something that what heaven would look like. It would not be just Asian Americans, but it would be other multi um, ethnic people in, in, in heaven. So uh, let me just uh, briefly introduce Pastor Steve, uh, his wife, Wendy, who, who planted and co-pastored uh, the church, Oakland Worship Center, which is just just right here in Oakland. And they just celebrated their 15th anniversary. Uh, they have three children, adult children, no grandchildren yet. And uh, he's been telling me that, you know what, they've been telling their kids to get grandkids, okay? I, I don't know if that's something that you were wishing for, but, you know, anyways, uh, Stephen is a third-generation pastor who began his teaching the Bible at 12 years old, 12 years old, and he was licensed to preach at the age of 24. And Stephen desires to help people to understand and to live out the Scripture in a simple and practical way. So with no further instructions, Pastor Steve, come on up. Good morning, CLC. Good morning, OWC as well. Good morning to all of you. Uh, to uh, uh, Worship Village online. I don't know where the cameras are. There's the cameras. To the Worship Village that's online and CLC online. I want to say good morning to all of you as well. Um, I want to just say a word of thank you again to, to Pastor Ben uh, for, and the CLC team for inviting me here. Uh, Pastor Calvin, I saw him somewhere. I don't know where he's at now, but he was around. There we go. Pastor Calvin, uh, um, uh, thank you for having him. Phil, you got to, Phil's here somewhere. You got to go and talk to Pastor Calvin. Just go and shake his hand. He is smooth. (laughs) He is smooth. He just has that voice that kind of, yeah, he's smooth. You got to go and say hello to Pastor Calvin. Um, I also want to just say thank you to Part of Oakland Worship Center is here. I see a couple people over here. Phil's over there somewhere as well. Uh, We know we have some folks online joining us today as well. So uh, if I missed you, then uh, charge it to my my head and not to my heart. 
God bless you. We love you. I'm ready to get into the word this morning. You ready to go? All right. Um, I'm going to be coming from a couple different passages today. Acts chapter five and then second Corinthians chapter five. So uh, if you have your device or your Bible um, and you want to go there, we're going to get to that in just a moment. And ooh. Okay, we're going to get to that in just a moment. Uh, Let's just have a quick word of prayer uh, as we prepare to go into the word today. Um, Father, we bless you. Lord, we trust you. Father, we're grateful for your faithfulness, even when we are not. So, Lord, we humbly ask you open our hearts and minds this morning. Um, so that we might be receptive uh, to your word, Father, and obedient to your Holy Spirit, so that we can be doers of your word and not hearers only, God. Again, God, I thank you for your faithfulness as I ask that you stand in my body and think with my mind and speak with my mouth, Lord, your words to your people, because we need to hear from you today, God. We need to hear from you. And God, I just bless you. Because you're good, you're kind, and I bless you. Because you're faithful and true, God, and I bless you, God. Because you always have our best interest at heart. God, I bless you that you keep me and walk with us, God. You never leave us nor forsake us. God, I bless you through the rough times. You're always by our side, God. Through the ups and the downs, you never leave us. Nor Father, I just bless your name today. You're wonderful, you're marvelous, God, and I bless your name. I bless your name. God, I bless your name. Bless your name. Be with us. Thank you for your presence here today already, God. Caitlin and the team, God, we just bless your name. There's none like you. There's none like you, God. There's none like you, God. There's none like you. And I magnify you today, God. We lift you in this place, God. Let us, let us preach. There's none like you, God. We bless you. In Jesus' name, let the whole church say amen. Amen. You have to forgive me. Um, just anybody know God is good. I can't be the only one in this whole place that thinks God is good. Oh, man. Okay, I got to preach. I'm on a clock. Let me go. All right. But sometimes, you know, the presence of the Lord just. All right, let's go. Acts chapter 5. Acts chapter 5. So let me give you just a little background to set this up because I'm actually not going to read it all to you. So the apostles are, are put in jail for preaching and healing people. So the the Sanhedrin, the religious leaders of the day, they're upset with them. They take them, they put them in jail. Now, while they're in jail, they get released from prison by an angel. An angel comes in, opens the doors, lets them out of prison, and then tells them to go back and preach. So they return to preaching again. And then on uh, the next day, when the Sanhedrin, the religious leaders come to look for them, 
they're not there. And they said, the doors are shut, the guards are still there, but the, but these, uh, the apostles are gone. And so uh, 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 they go and they check the prison and it's empty. Then we get to Acts chapter 17, skip up to verse number 25. On, your, on the slides there for, for them. Verse number 25 says, next slide. So one came and told them saying, look, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Then the captain went with the officers and brought them without violence for they feared the people lest they should be stoned. I wanna stop there, that sounds like me. So, let me stop there. The men who you put in prison are standing in the temple and they're teaching the people. So the captain went with the officers and brought them without violence because they feared the people, lest that they should be stoned. So now when we think about this, when we look at this, this Roman soldier, this Roman captain, uh, they are the officers. They are the equivalent to the authorities of the day. They're like the police officers of our day, of our day. They're the ones who, who the, the, are set with keeping order and so forth. But the Bible distinctly says that they did it without violence. It makes that point that they did it without violence. Roman soldiers were tasked with keeping the peace. They were just keeping everything smooth, keep everything quiet, keep everything settled but they were willing to do it by any means necessary. So no matter what happened, they can come and talk to you. And if that's sell it, that's sell it. They would give you a beat down on the street corner, whatever they had to do that they felt they had to do. That's what they would do. And as you can see here in this passage of scripture, uh, 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 the fact that they noted that they did it without violence meant that this was not a normal situation. That they would always get violent because they would do it by any means necessary. But this particular incident, they did it without violence. Why? Because they feared the people. The people were there. And there was some accountability because the people were there. And they feared that that might be some retaliation because there were people there. And you and I know if there are not a lot of people around, then violence can happen. One of the reasons we are where we are today is because all of us have these phones with cameras on them now. And now we're beginning to get some accountability because people are around. And that's what we're beginning to see here. Uh, uh, and we need to see more of police officers being held accountable for the way they treat people of color. And that happens now because of these cameras and we have people around. If it were not for the crowd, these white Roman soldiers would have violated these olive skin. Hold on, wait. The Romans were not white. Now that I think about, I'm sorry, Pastor Ben, I think I messed up. Romans were not white. Not like we call white. Romans came from all over the Mediterranean. It was a whole mix of all different people groups. You were Roman if you were Roman by, uh, it was cultural. Uh, uh, being a Roman was a cultural or a geopolitical identity. It's not a race. 
That's why we don't have Romans today, because it wasn't a race of people. They were everyone. You had people from Africa who were Romans, people from uh, Saudi Arabia who were Romans, people from Jordan who were Romans. There's a whole people group, similar to what we call America, the ideal of America is supposed to be, right? Because in America, we're not really supposed to be hyphenated Americans. We're just supposed to be Americans, you know? I mean, I, I've been, you know, some people refer to me as an African-American. Well, I don't know the first thing about Africa. I've never been there. I kind of really don't have the, I want to go to Egypt, but other than that, I really don't have a desire to go. My uncles tr uh, 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 traced our family lineage back and from him, that's eight generations back, all American born. How long do I have to be here before I'm just an American? So for me, that's nine generations back, all American born. And Rome was like that. It was this amalgamation of people from everywhere who were just Romans. They were not white. When scripture uses the term ethnos or ethnic, it's usually referring to nations. It's not a description of physical traits or characteristics. It is people groups based on common history, common language, geographic regions, or even political governance. The writings of antiquity don't categorize people simply by physical traits like we do today. It just was not there. The idea of race, how we see each other, is a learned habit. It's a learned perspective. So my mom tells this story of me coming home from school in the second grade. I was in second grade, and I come home, and I'm upset. And she says to me, what's wrong? You know, why are you upset? And I tell her, mom, those black kids at school are bothering me. And she says to me, those black kids, well, what do you think you are? I'm like, well, I'm white. She says, no, honey, let, let me sit you down and talk to you for a minute. Well, the thing is, you know, uh, uh, um, I was the, one of the lightest kids in the school. I went to school in East Oakland, born and raised here in Oakland, went to school over in East Oakland. So there just weren't a whole lot of light-skinned people in my, in my class, in my school, and then, I have blue eyes. You can't really tell it from far away, but I have blue eyes too. So to be light-skinned and blue eyes, I was closest thing to white that most of these kids had ever saw. So they all told me that I was white. So I come home and, you know, those black kids are messing with me, right? <laughs> 30, and, you know, both my parents are, 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 are African-American. Both my parents are black. They're just light-skinned as well. And so uh, my wife, who is here, God bless you, honey, she's light-skinned as well. So now my kids are super light-skinned. <laughs> and 30 years later, as a parent, they come to me and they come home and they say, hey, dad, what color are we? I'm like, what? I'm like, are we black or are we white? And they're in grade school as well. And so I muster up all my fatherly wisdom and I tell them, well, you know what? We're butterscotch. That's what we are. <laughs> and so and that's what we go by today in the family. We're butterscotch. <laughs> but the point is, I was in the second grade, and they were in grade school as well. This idea of race is taught, and it's taught early. We teach 
very early how to see each other. As I make more connections with Asian pastors and, and, and Asian friends, I've always had Asian friends through the days, but I've been having more conversations now. And I hear, this is what I hear a lot of, is that my, my grandparents were robbed by black people. And so now we're taught to fear black people. I hear that a lot. Or my parents were robbed by black people. So we're taught to fear black people. Or when I look on the news with all the, the AAPI stuff that's going on and people are just mindlessly being attacked in our Asian communities, they're being attacked by black people. So we, we fear black people. That's taught. It's taught. Here's one thing I notice when we talk about race. And, and, I, and I use this example all the time. But just think about this. A white guy can take a gun and shoot up an entire festival and just massacre 20, 30 people. And we will, on the news, we'll hear them say, wow, we need to find out, you know, what was going on in his life, what happened to him, his mental state, his mental health, what was going on, and so forth and so on. One black guy can rob one liquor store, and it's all of a sudden those black people are criminals. Black people did not go into Chinatown and commit violence on Asian people. It was a black person. And that's the difference. We're taught to think about this idea of race and we group everybody together in this group. When truth be told, it was a person. And I know being, being a minority uh, uh, in, in America, period, that happens other ways as well. For Asian people as well, all those Asian people are. And yet, no, we're, we're not all Chinese. Some of us are, you know, Japanese, Korean, right? Korean, all the rest of it. And you get that as well. And that is a taught behavior. And it's taught and it's made up because when we look at it, we're all the same race. We all come from one blood. If racism is a response to the ethnic differences that we see, then how we see each other matters. And how we see ourselves matters even more. Because it starts with how I see me. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Let's go there now. Um, this passage has played a significant role uh, in my life as a dealing with this idea of how I see myself and how I see other people. Once again, growing up as a light-skinned uh, African-American in the, in, the, in the black community, there used to be this tension between light-skinned, dark-skinned blacks. It's a little residue there now, but there was this tension between light-skinned and dark-skinned black people. And it stemmed back from slavery days when the... Uh, 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 slave master would have his way with the black slave woman and produce these light-skinned kids, uh, half-breeds, whatever they would call them. And because they were the slave owner's uh, offspring, even though he didn't really claim them, they would get to work in the house instead of in the fields. And so the darker black people would be in the fields struggling, picking cotton in the sun and the heat. And then the lighter-skinned people would be able to work inside the house 
And because they're working inside the house and the slave master's looking at them every day, they would dress better and so forth. They would be able to get scraps and stuff from the tables and so forth. And there was this tension between the field Negro and the house Negro. And so that tension kind of carried over. So being light-skinned, for me, being light-skinned with blue eyes in America, I had no group to be a part of because I was not dark enough to be black, but I was too dark to be white. And I was this other group in the middle. And so I had to deal with this identity uh, situation of, of who am I and where do I fit in? And this passage of scripture really helped me a lot. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and I want to give this to you, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul is talking to the church at Corinth, and Corinth was a, a coastal town with lots of trade and lots of transient people, uh, which resulted in a variety of group, people groups all in Corinth, and that was reflected within the church as well, variety of people groups within the church, <clears throat> like we're beginning to see here today, right? It's kind of cool, right? Uh, verse number 11. Verse number 11 says, uh, since then, we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade men. Let me pause right there. Paul is beginning to make a distinction here. Since then, we know what it is to fear the Lord. He's making this distinction between those who know what it really means to fear God and those who don't know what it is to fear God. So, uh, uh, um, in the Bible, when you read scripture, it's really divided up into two people groups. There's Jews and everybody else, right? They call them Gentiles. You're a Jew and you're not a Jew. There is, Paul is beginning to make this distinction that there is this new people group. And this new group are those who reverence God versus those who don't. He's giving new dividing lines. So Paul says, we know what it is to fear the Lord, and we are, uh, what we are is plain to God, and I hope it's also plain to your conscience. God knows who we are, and we hope that you begin to know who we are, because we are people who reverence God. Skip down to verse number 16. It says, so from now on, we, re we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Paul says we no longer see people from a worldly point of view. All of those made-up labels that we put on one another, Paul says those no longer apply. I'm pausing right there so you can begin to think about all the labels you put on different people. I'm pausing right there so you can think about how we divide ourselves over what issues. Are you conservative, liberal, Republican, Democrat? Are you educated, uneducated? Do you live in the hills or in the flatlands? All the ways we divide ourselves. All of those labels that we put on ourselves. Paul says, 
they no longer exist. If, the, if we no longer can put worldly labels on the people around us, then that also means that we can no longer put labels on ourselves. Mm. That's another pause, too. So you can think about all the labels we put on ourselves. The Bible says that I am fearfully and wonderfully made, that I am created in the image of God, that I am his masterpiece. What other labels are you adding to that? What worldly labels are you still identifying with? Let me, uh, uh, let, me, let me just let you know this. When I identify myself, my being black doesn't even reach into my top five. It's not even there. I'm a child of God. I'm a husband. I'm a father. I'm a son. I'm a pastor. Those are the ways I primarily self-identify. Being black doesn't even make it in the top five. Being butterscotch is pretty close. But being black doesn't even make it in the top five. What are the labels that you are identifying yourself with? And why is this important? Because we tend to gather and hang out with the people we identify with. See, an Asian church doesn't hang out with an African-American church. Why? Because it's Asian and an African-American. But Christians, the church, will always get together. Did you, did you see what just happened? When we took the Asian and the African-American off, it's just the church. And we can always get together. How we identify determines who we're going to hang out with, who we're going to gather with, who we're going to allow into our circles, who we're going to reach out into other circles, into their circles. As, as Pastor Ben uh, uh, talked about up here, one of the reasons we got together is because uh, I was in this place of, hey, I need to reach out. I know some Asian pastors. I'm in the pastor's group in Castor Valley. I know Asian pastors, but I didn't know any Asian pastors in Oakland. I have some Asian friends, but I didn't know any Asian pastors in Oakland. So I began to reach out, and Jen was one of the contacts that I made. And, uh, uh, um, and like Pastor Ben said, uh, CLC was also beginning to reach out as well. And that divine thing brought that together. But when we took the other labels off and said, you know, we just, I need to know the body of Christ in Oakland. Paul in this passage said that I am a new creation. I love the amplified verse, which said, amplified version, which says, I am a new creature altogether. Wow. I'm kind of a sci-fi kind of guy, right? <laughs> so when I heard this, my mind automatically goes to that I am a new species of being. In Christ, if I'm a new creation, I'm a whole new species of being. I'm not a Jew. I'm not a Gentile. I'm this whole new people group of those people who know what it means to reverence God. And I just want to connect with other folks who know what it means to reverence God. It doesn't matter what continent your family of origin came from. Do you know what it means to reverence God? It doesn't matter how many degrees you do or don't have. Do you know what it means to reverence God? I don't care if your bank account is overflowing or you bouncing checks. Do you know what it means to reverence God? Those are the people I want to be with. Those are the people we want to be with. 
This new group of people is based on my relationship to God through Jesus. Now I see everyone else through the lens of that relationship. That's what happens when we're really reconciled to God. Because now I have to be connected to all of his children. If I'm adopted into his family, I got to be connected to all his kids. Do you see what just happened? Jesus removed what we call race from the equation. He removed it. It's gone. And now we have to connect with people who are like-minded. And so I know you guys are in your, your Justice for All series, and you're talking about, I know there's a critical race theory conference or, or deal coming, and I've got to catch that one. I missed the first one, but I'll catch the second one. But here's what I want us to understand as well. And my con contribution to this discussion that you're having here is, is one thing to go out and march and change the world. But then think about when you come back home, pull your car into the garage, lock your door, and you don't even know the name of your black neighbor across the street. Or the Latino neighbor on the other side of you. Or how about that Persian person that lives on the other side of you? While you're out changing the world, we don't even know our neighbor. Guess what? God did tell us to go, go ye therefore into all the world. But God started off with your Jerusalem. Let me tell you the way Jesus said it. The Bible says that God so loved the world, right? And we, we, we follow that. But then God told us, I want you to start with just loving your neighbor as yourself. Yeah, you're going to affect the world, but you got to do some work at home with your neighbor first. How can we love our neighbors if we don't know our neighbors? We recently asked this question in our church. Um, uh, um, who is the closest friend you have that's not of your same ethnicity? Do you have one? How can you love your neighbor if you don't know your neighbor. And you don't have to go downtown and protest. I mean, you know, you can do all of that kind of stuff. But the first call is to be this people who reverence God and we show it by how we love one another. And all the labels that we use to separate ourselves, they're supposed to be taken away in Christ. It's quiet in here. <laughs> See, that's the response. Every time you have a black speaker, they're going to say that because, you know, you're using it. Amen. Preach, Reverend. Go ahead, oh, Lord. <laughs> uh, I remember the first time I preached at a Japanese church in San Lorenzo. My friend of mine who invited me there, he said, because uh, he had spoken at our church, Pastor Ben, and, uh, you know, he got all the amens and stuff. He said, Pastor Steve, when you come over here, you're not going to get any of that. They're going to be quiet. But if you see them raise an eyebrow, <laughs> then you know they're with you. So I've seen a few eyebrows raise. All right. Once we see ourselves as that group that reverences God, then we have two responses. 
First one is to identify and to love everyone else in our group, regardless of what we call race. That's just it. Everyone else who reverences God, we're called to love them, regardless of whatever label we want to put on them. Second response is to love everyone outside of our group so that they will become part of our group. And race has absolutely nothing to do with it. Jesus came to remove race from the equation. If racism is a response to the ethnic differences that we see, then how we see each other matters. And how we see ourselves matters even more because that affects how we see everyone else around us. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we just thank you this morning and bless you for the opportunity to be here, God. And thank you that we are part of your family, that you made the sacrifice to graft us into relationship with you, God. Father, that in Christ you reconciled us to you, that we might be reconciled to one another, God. Help us to see ourselves the way you see us, as image bearers of God. And then help us to see others the way you see them, as image bearers of God. So that we might all be one, as you called us to be. In Jesus' name, amen.